I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings. We're actually going to move to another chapter tonight. How about that? Uh, 1 Kings, we're going to read the very, the very end of chapter 19. The Lord has de- dealt with Elijah, and he's met with him uh, and spoken to him in a still small voice on Mount, on Mount Horeb after his flight, basically, from Jezebel. God's got three, three commissions for him, basically, to anoint the king of Syria, to anoint the, the king of Israel or Samaria at that point, and then to anoint uh, Elisha to be the prophet in his stead, okay? So let's look at verse 19, chapter 19, verse 19. So God restored him, and then he recommissioned him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elisha passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Just for time's sake, read verse 21. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. This is Elisha. And boiled the flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people. And they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elisha and ministered unto him. Now, this I want to touch on this just real quickly because I think it's something worth noting. I know we're doing a study on Elijah. But God has commissioned Elisha to be prophet in his stead. When he calls Elijah home in the chariot of fire that catches him up to heaven, uh, he's going to do that. Uh, Elisha is going to be his man for the hour when Elijah leaves. And I just there's a lot that we could glean just from this, but we see Elisha working hard. Okay, He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and him, he's with the 12th. And when the call comes... It reminds me of the Lord's calling, say, of, of uh, Peter and Andrew or John and James when they're fishermen and they're, they're down there cleaning their nets. And the Lord says, come and follow me. And they forsook their, everything and followed the Lord. They left their nets and followed the Lord. He goes and he kills the 12 yoke of oxen. And he cooks it and gives it to all the people. Okay? Here, take this. I won't be needing this anymore. And I just, there's something about that. There's something spiritual about that, about uh, not having something to go back to. God's called me. I'm moving on. Okay? And he, it wasn't like if this doesn't work out, I can run back to my oxen. They were gone. He didn't sell them. He didn't get a pocket full of money. He killed them, cooked them, gave it away to people. That was gone. Elisha is going on with the Lord. There's a lot of things in our life, and that's not what the message tonight is about, but I wanted to say that there's a lot of things in our life we need to, we need to kill it and boil the flesh and give, be done with it, you know, and move on. As long as it's there for us to go crawling back to and creeping back to, we will. If we'll get rid of it and move on, God will bring us on. Amen? There's things in our lives, whether it's friends, uh, entertainment, uh, security blankets in this world, whatever we have, when God's calling us to go on, there's things that have to be left. It's not part of this new life in Christ. It's not part of this new life where he's calling me to go. So I wanted to read that. So we do see the Lord using Elijah after, you know, he had fled from, uh, from Jezebel for fear of his life. And then pick up with me, and this is really what we'll talk about. Uh, in chapter 20, 
And we're really not going to read a lot of chapter 20 because this is like a little parenthetical chapter. Here we got Elijah's life, and then here's this chapter where he's really not mentioned. But I'll tell you what's happening, and the college and career group would know this because they've been studying all these books. There is a war between, there are two battles really between Syria and Israel, or Syria and Ahab, who's the king of Samaria, right? And the Lord promises Ahab scared. He, he's outnumbered and he's scared. And he says, uh, God sends him a prophet. It wasn't Elijah or Elisha. He sent him some other prophet. And that's also to remember that the Lord said he had 7,000 hadn't been, been bowed their knee, right, to, to Baal nor kissed him. God still has his men. He sent a prophet and said, don't be afraid. Go out and, and fight against this king and and I'm going to give you the victory. He promises him victory. And he says, well, who's going to order the battle? In other words, who will be the general? And he said, you. You go and lead him out there. So Ahab, here's this wicked man, but he, does, he goes out and he fights. And they win the battle. A year later, Benadad comes back and they say, you know what? We think uh, that, we, that battle took place up in the hills. Their God is a God of the hills. Let's get him down. This is a year later. Let's get him down the valley. I think we can handle him down in the valley. God sends a prophet again to Ahab and said, you're going to go out and fight again, lead your army. I'm doing this for my name's sake because they think that the God of Israel is only the God of the hills and he's not the God of the valleys and that Israel can't win in the valley. And so he sends them back down um, and, and they win the second time a year later. Israel wins the battle. God wins a victory. Okay, And they actually captured... Uh, Benadad, who was the king of Syria, who was a wicked man, and God wanted him killed. And here we see, uh, to me, it's just a real soulishness on Ahab's part that he spared him. Benadad put on sackcloth and ashes and comes to him. He's pleading for his life. And he comes up to him and says, you know, we, we've heard that you Israelites are very merciful. And so, uh, and, and, and uh, but, you know, we're really not that different. We're, we're very similar. And, you know, some of those cities that my father took from Israel, I'm, I'm going to give those back to you. And so Ahab is just pathetic. And he he makes a compromise with the enemy of God. OK, and I'm going to pick up this other nameless prophet. Only two two verses we read in chapter 20 or verses 42 and 43. So this nameless prophet that spoke to Ahab before comes and speaks to him again on this occasion. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. It's important that we read that. We know that, right? I had appointed to utter destruction. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel, this is Ahab, went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. Okay, and this is where we're going to pick up tonight. We'll just get as far as we can get tonight. There's a couple of interesting things about Ahab. We've looked a lot about him because Elijah's, God's used Elijah so many times to deal with him. But here this other prophet rebukes him. And there's this judgment pronounced on his life. God didn't kill him at that second, but he did say, your life's going to go for his life, basically, and your family and so forth, and the people of Israel for, for letting him go. And he goes to his house displeased. 
And I think to myself, what could have Ahab done? If he had a spiritual bone in his body, so to speak, what could he have done? He could have repented. He could have said, and maybe the judgment still, on earthly judgment, would have, would have come to pass. But we just don't see any of that. Same for King Saul a little bit uh, many years before this. When, when, when uh, Samuel said, what have you done? You've done foolishly, right? Two occasions. He didn't repent on either one. He was remorseful. He wanted to save face before the people. But he didn't repent. And here we see Ahab. He went to his house displeased. No repentance. No godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Just nothing. He's just displeased. He might be afraid and mad at the same time. He's like afraid because of the judgment that the prophet pronounced. And he knew this was a true prophet, okay, and maybe mad at God at the same time. I don't know. But he went to his house displeased. So this is, the, this is where we pick up in chapter 21. And let's read, uh, let's read some of chapter 21 for just a minute. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now, remember, he's not spiritual. He's not spiritual. He's not concerned about any gods not in this picture at all. He's in his palace. He looks out the window and he says, Naboth sure has a very nice vineyard there. That is beautiful. I want that vineyard. It's close to the palace and I'll just sort of adopt it and I'll, I'll make it mine. And you say, well, he's being fair. He also offers him money for it or offers him to swap some property, something like that. But this man, Naboth, was a righteous man. This is a man that feared God and he brought God into the picture. Okay, and here's what he says in verse 3. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Ahab's not thinking about that. Ahab doesn't care about that. That doesn't matter to him, any of the, the laws of God. You know, do you know who Ahab reminds me of in you know, one extent is Esau. Esau did not care about spiritual things. He might have had a big smile on his face when things are going great and pat you on the back. But he was not spiritual at all. He, he didn't care about the things of God. What did Esau do? And he's spoken of again and again in Scripture and in Hebrews. It talks about him as being so profane. So the Bible says of Esau, he was profane. He sold his birthright, his inheritance, for a bowl of soup. He wasn't going to starve to death. He was hungry. He'd been out hunting all day. He wasn't going to die. And if he'd have called on God, God would have given him some food. Okay? But he wanted it, and he wanted it now. He wanted to feed that physical appetite, and that's what he did. Esau, on another occasion, uh, knew that his parents didn't want him and Jacob to intermarry with these idolatrous countries around him. So he purposely went and took one of the women from these people that his parents said don't just because it made him mad. He just did what he wanted to do, okay? And here's what Ahab was. And Naboth says, no, I, I can't do that, king. God forbid. 
that I give you mine inheritance, okay? An inheritance in, the, in this culture and under the laws of God, there were very specific laws. And if somebody was dirt poor, poor, broke, and had to sell their property under extreme circumstances, it would, it would be returned back to them in the year of Jubilee, okay? So after this time passed. So this man knew this, and he wasn't just out to make a buck. It was important to him to do what God said, all right? And Ahab came into his house heavy. So he's just disappointed, mad at God or maybe the prophet after what the, the pronouncement. Now he's mad and disappointed because he doesn't get his garden. He's like a little spoiled kid. That's literally what he is. But he's in a position of great power. But he's like a little spoiled kid. Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down. Just picture this. This is a king. All right. He laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. That sounds like something from Andy Griffith, you know, like Opie would do or something. Just, you know, just pouting, just so over there, something maybe I did when I was a kid. Um, just pouting. He's just pouting. He's having a pity party, okay? And he's the king. And here comes, here comes his wife Jezebel. They're both wicked, but he's wicked and weak, and she's wicked and conniving and scheming and... Uh, well, we're, we're going to see it. She comes in basically and says, what's going on? Well, I asked Naboth, Naboth to give me his vineyard, and he wouldn't. Now, I even offered to pay for it. She says, are you the king? Yeah, I'm the king. You just sit tight. You're going to soon have your vineyard. And he's like, oh, boy. He doesn't care the means by which it happens. Okay? Wicked, but weak. She's wicked and, like I said, scheming and conniving. And so she goes, and we don't have time to read it all, but they called a fast to the Lord. How hypocritical. This is all of their plan to get that vineyard, okay? So they called a fast to the Lord. She's the one that set up the idol worship of Baal throughout the whole land, killed all the prophets, of, the priests of God, and the prophets of God, and destroyed his altars and reared up altars to Baal. All right, we know that. So uh, they proclaim a fast, and then they get two sons of Belial. That's actually what they're called in the Bible. Two sons of Belial, two wicked, base, low-down, immoral people that will shoot you in the back for five bucks, okay? They found two sons of Belial, and they said, you're going to witness against you're going to be a witness. They're false witnesses. But you're going to witness against Naboth and said that he blasphemed God. None of this actually happened. He didn't blaspheme God. But they went and grabbed him and said, we saw this man, Naboth, blaspheming God and the king. They instantly took him and they, they said, take him out and stone him. Look at verse 14. 20 verse four, 21 verse 14. Then they said to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Je Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead. Do they care anything about this innocent man? Uh, he's just like a little, uh, it looks like he's just caught up. Naboth is just totally innocent, did what was right, and was stoned to death. Right? Like Stephen in the Bible. 
What's he doing? He's doing what's right, and he's stoned to death. And it's the same type of thing. Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of thy vineyard, the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. It came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Just nice, clean, wrapped up in little bundle. You know, it's almost... You know, you, you just, we see things like this, and we, we wonder why, and we ne- never take it to heart that the righteous die, what we think prematurely. And the Bible says, none take it to heart that God may be sparing him from the day of wrath to come. It's the only reason. It just has to be God's will. Naboth, man, I would want to be, I want to be a friend with Naboth. You know what I'm saying? I want to be the one that's there. Do what's right, even when it's hard. Do what's right. And, and here we see him taken out, and they just stone him, and the thing's all over. And it, it would be like, uh, I don't know, some, some, some criminal, and they don't actually do the killing. They just have someone do it for them. And, and they feel they can sleep well at night and kiss their little grandbaby or whatever and feel like they've done nothing wrong. It's wicked. It's wicked. It's wicked then. It's wicked now. If people in high places are having people killed to retain power or, or get a possession that they want, or whatever it may be, we see this, and, and God doesn't excuse it, okay? God doesn't excuse it. So he is going to recommission Elijah back in the service for a special job, okay? A special job that he has for him. Look at verse uh, verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elisha the Tishbite, saying, and I want to stop right there because you say, well, how long, I was curious, you know, how long has it been between when God dealt with them on Mount Horeb, right? The last time that the word of the Lord came to him, as far as we know, like this, and, and this moment, because there were two Syrian wars with the Syrians. There was this, this episode here. And just historically, if you're tracking the kings of Israel and of Syria and so forth, it's believed it was about five or six years. I just think that's interesting. It's about five or six years between the time that the Lord, we read clearly about Elijah, and the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice and commissioned him to go do these things, uh, and, and this moment right here. And so... Uh, what, what took place during that time, we don't really know, but I will say this. It, evidently, the time was not wasted on Elijah, okay? The time was not wasted on Elijah. You remember Samuel, uh, not Samuel, Samson in the Bible, where he, he was very uh, fleshly, to say the least. That was kind of his nature. Of, he, he had a call of God upon his life, but you could see the writing on the wall that he was very much sensual and, and fleshly. And he reaches a point where he, he tells Delilah, you know, about the, the source of his strength, that no, really it's from God. I have a vow of God upon my life to be a Nazarite. And that's when they come and they cut his hair, right? And his, the Lord departed from him and he didn't know it. It wasn't his hair so much as what his hair represented, 
the hair represented the, na- the vow that was upon his life, the vow of God. And so his hair is cut, and they cut his hair, the Philistines, and she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he rose and says, I'm just going to just shake myself off like they're little, you know, nothings. I'll just shake them off like I have before. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. That's a scary thought, to not know that the Spirit of the Lord has departed. And he couldn't shake himself like he had before. And they took him, and what did they do? Cruel? I mean, they're Philistines. They're the enemies of God. They're not just Samson's enemies. They're God's enemies. And God had wanted him to be a judge against the Philistines, right? And so they put his eyes out, and they put him in chains. But what does the Bible say? It's just interesting. His hair began to grow back. I think that's something. His hair began to grow back. And we say, well, everybody's hair grows back. Well, it had something to do with, with, with the story because his hair grew back, and he he calls out to the Lord and says, let me avenge myself of the Philistine from my eyes. And God says, okay. And he gave him the strength back. It's just interesting to me because here was Elijah for five to six years probably. Uh, and he didn't fail the Lord, not like Samson, okay? I'm not going to paint that picture of Elijah. But he had been fearful. He acted on his own. He fled from Jezebel when just hours before he had stood before a whole nation. We've talked about that. And during this time, it had to be a wonderful time where the Lord would just had him, had him to himself, basically. Like the Lord had him to the Lord, is what I'm saying. God had him. He wasn't in the public arena. He spent a lot of his life not in the public arena. And, and uh, evidently he was... He was strengthened for this job that he had, this job that the Lord was calling him to. And so maybe his consecration to the Lord was rededicated. I don't know. I don't want to make up something. But all I can say for sure is that it wasn't wasted. That time wasn't wasted. And so uh, we don't want it to be wasted on us either. But when, if we failed the Lord in some way, we've talked a lot in this last month, probably on Wednesday nights, about how God restored Elijah. He always is, the Lord's purpose and desire is always to restore us individually back to him. The fellowship, the communion, the closeness to God, the nearness to God, the love for God. He never quits loving us, but when we stray off into some sin, whether it's a prolonged period of time or or maybe a public failure where we're known as being a Christian and we fail publicly, uh, God may have to call us aside. His first desire is to bring us to repentance and back to himself personally. Whatever it was that led to that sin or sinful behavior, he wants to deal with. And then, then the second part of that would be how he uses me from this point forward. But the most important thing is that we're restored to, we're restored to the Lord in intimacy, okay? David sinned horribly, and yet he was fully restored spiritually to the Lord, okay? And God still had things for him to do. But he was not disobedient. When the, when the word of the Lord came to him, and that's a phrase that's used often in First Kings dealing with Elijah, right? The word of the Lord came to him. We read when we started this study, go... Uh, Go tell Elijah there's not going to be rain on the earth 
but according to my word. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord said, now go hide by the brook, brook Cherith, okay, and I've commanded the ravens there to feed you. The brook dried up, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. Uh, the, that whole period was three and a half years. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go show yourself to Ahab, and I'm going to send rain on the earth. Okay? And here we see it again. The word of the Lord came to him, in verse 17, to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he hath gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed? So God had to tell Elijah this story. I don't think Elijah knew about it. The man was just, king was just going down to take possession of it. Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Wow. <laughs> this is what he's called to do. Okay? And so, do you notice a difference? He was not disobedient. That's what Paul said when he was before Agrippa, and he was sharing his testimony. He was in prison. He was testifying before King Agrippa, and he tells how the Lord called him, Saul of Tarsus, called him to go preach the gospel. And he says, King, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision or the heavenly call. We see God calls him, and he obeys. This has been a trademark characteristic of Elijah. So I believe it's one of the greatest reasons that God used him. He called him, he went. Go, go speak to him, he spoke. Go hide yourself, he hides. Go here now, he goes. There was no, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord, that doesn't make sense. It was always obedient. And so here we see him almost like that old prophet again that he was before, you know. With, with, and he's not afraid. He's not afraid. Now, remember, he fled from Jezebel. But now he's not afraid of Jezebel. He's not afraid of Ahab. He's not afraid of anything. He's, he's already faced this king before, but when he got tired and afraid and scared and took his eyes off of Jesus, he fled from Jezebel. He's not afraid now. Okay, he's not afraid now. And just keep your spot there. I want to read one verse. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 51. We'll go back to that chapter we're reading in just a minute. Isaiah 51 Verse 12. I, even I, am, am he, the Lord is speaking, that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the son of man, which shall be made as grass. And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. We can just stop right there, but you see the point. We've all been there before, right? We've all been uh, afraid of men. Men we can see, men that are fierce, men that have power. Uh, and we, we can be at times afraid. And the Lord's actually not pleased with this. He's not pleased with that. And he says, why are you afraid? Who are you that you should fear a man that should die and forget the Lord your maker. It's one or the other, right? 
if I'm, if I'm fearing God and in, in his presence, like Elijah stood in the presence of the Lord, the Lord God Almighty before whom I stand, Elijah said, then we're not afraid of the king or the queen or anybody else or 850 false prophets. When we take our eyes off of the Lord and we look at that man or that government or that whatever, and we're scared. And we're scared. And that doesn't please the Lord. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to be still and know that he's God. It's actually a rebuke. What are you doing fearing a man that at some point that man's going to die? All right? And you forgot me, the Lord, your maker, that laid the foundations of the earth. And we, all we can do is say, you're right, Lord. For that moment of insanity, I forgot you, Lord. And my eyes were on men. And God wants us to keep our eyes upon him. Amen? So I'm going to bring this to a close. But he wasn't, he wasn't afraid this time. And I said his time of waiting had not been wasted on him. And I really, before I get into his whole dealings with, with Ahab, uh, that's like a whole nother thought. And I would like to few, read a few verses here and just say this, that if God has ever set you aside or set me aside for something, we have to remember that he's doing it for our own good. If you say, I remember when I used to preach all the time in the prisons and I used to do this and I used to do that. And now look at myself and I'm not doing really anything. Well, there could be a few different causes for that. It could be our own sin that we've taken our eyes off the Lord and we've gotten away from the Lord. It could be that God is, is preparing us for what's next. Don't despise it. I guess if I could say one thing tonight, don't despise the time of waiting. Find out the cause, though. It's important. Am I on the shelf because I've gotten carnal or worldly or there's sin or some serious moral flaws in my life that don't allow me to be used in that way? Or is it just a time of preparation? We can't point to a specific sin necessarily. It's just uh, God is preparing me. It's a waiting period. The time has not come. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, right? born of a virgin. And so there, sometimes we have to wait on the Lord just for that fullness of time. And it's important that we are close enough to the Lord and hear his voice that we know what, what's the cause. Is it a sin on my part or sins on my part that God is dealing with me about and, and he can use me as quick as that's dealt with? And we need to know that. Right? And deal with the Lord about that and deal with that sin. Or is it because he's just, there's a waiting period of preparation. We're just drawn in close to the Lord. Not particular a sin, just drawn near to God. Right? That is, that is not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. We see it over and over in the scriptures. We see it right here with Elijah. It's about a five or six year period. We don't really know what in the world was going on. But evidently he wasn't off in the world like the prodigal son. Okay, he was living with God and for God. And when the Lord called him, he heard his voice and he went. And he wasn't afraid anymore. We'll close with uh, three scriptures just real quickly. Mark, Mark chapter 3. We'll turn and read these quickly and then uh, D will come up and we'll close. But Mark chapter 3, in the Gospels where, and I, I've referred to this before and I'm sure that you've read it many times. Mark three fourteen. 
Well, let's pick up verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain, this is Jesus, and called unto him whom he would, and there they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Again, we've talked about this recently. Why did he ordain twelve primarily? If you were to say just the first thing that's listed, he chose twelve, and he names them by name, the twelve apostles, that they might be with him. Right? Where, the, where I am, there will my, my disciples be also. That hasn't changed, by the way. Where he is, that's where we're going to be. So if he, is, he has got me over here in the prayer closet for the next three years, or if he's got me standing up preaching to bring America to repentance on satellite TV, what either one, I want to be right where God has me. Amen? And so do you. If we're there, that's exactly where we need to be and we should be. He chose 12 that they might be with him. Be with the Lord. Elijah was with the Lord, and when he called him, he was ready. He was ready, okay? Two more scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't despise that time where you feel like God's put you on the shelf. Also say this, you know, if we feel like we're put on the shelf... And we know because we've dealt with the Lord and examined our hearts, we know it's not because of some sin or ongoing sin in my life. Then, then don't, don't despise it and take advantage of that. In other words, it doesn't mean you can do nothing. You can still pray and seek the Lord and tell other people about Jesus, you know. But maybe while you're waiting on the next call or the commission, don't feel like you can do nothing. I can't talk to anybody. I can't uh, tell anybody about Jesus. We're already called to do those things. All right? That's part of our life. But maybe you're, you're on the shelf, so to speak, while you're waiting for, for what he has for you next. So it says in Ephesians 5, um, verse 14, Wherefore saith, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I just want to read that about redeeming the time. Make the most of the time. There should never be in our whole Christian life any wasted time. The 40 years of Moses in the wilderness, tending sheep in Midian, was not wasted. The 30 years of Jesus being Joseph the carpenter's son and actually becoming a carpenter and learning carpentry, that was not wasted. It was exactly what he was supposed to do. And the next thing couldn't happen if that wasn't done. I'll leave God to, to figure that out. Why does it take 40 years in the desert for Moses? I don't know. Because God said in his wisdom, so that's what it took for Moses. So don't, don't um, despise those things. Rest in the Lord. Know that you're in his will. That's something only you and God can know. And then redeem that time. Make the most of it. There's a reason he's got me here. I'm going to grow in Jesus. We already know we're supposed to grow in Jesus. That is his will. Grow in the Lord. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm just going to close with this. Uh, talking about redeeming the time in Psalm 91. We all know this is one of the few Psalms that David did not write. And D, you can come on up if you would. 
I'm sorry, Psalm 90. Moses wrote this psalm, and he just talks about our, our life, you know, it's just like it's here and then it's gone. And then in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Amen. And so God wants us to, evidently Elijah redeemed that time. Evidently Elijah was not just off living it up somewhere in the world. And he evidently wasn't pouting. He was in the presence of God because when God spoke to him, he heard him. And when he spoke to him and he heard him, he obeyed quickly what he said. It was like the old prophet that we remember uh, from, from previous years. I just want to encourage you, uh, to do the same, to press in close to the Lord, make the most of your time. I pray that you do have great aspirations. In other words, desires. I, I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God. I think that's a good thing. But make sure that you're in his will. Make sure that you and I are a vessel of honor that he can use, that's sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared every, to every good work. Purge from every, every useful and sinful lust. We need to be prepared, and that takes time. That takes time. I say it all the time. God can, can do some big miracle and zap the world or zap your finances and do things like that and turn it around 180 degrees. He can do that in a second, in a moment. But it, he cannot make a man or a woman of God in a moment. It takes time. It takes time for him to work things out of me and work his character and nature into me. And I can't despise that. We need to be patient and trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. But we do need to say, Lord, am I the one holding this thing up? <laughs> Is it me that's holding laziness or, or whatever, that's holding up my growth, some particular sin? Uh, whatever it is, we need to go to the Lord and have that dealt with and ask and, and not get up till it's dealt with. Wrestle with God like Jacob and said, I'm not letting go to you. Bless me. All right. And, and receive from the Lord what he has for you. He wants us to do that wrestling. It builds character in us. It builds the character of Christ. He doesn't just wave a magic wand and every problem in our life is fixed. We walk through things. And we walk through th things trusting God. And we walk through things and we learn. David says, I was young, now I'm old. But he learned something. Never. Have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed begging bread? Guess what? It took him time to learn that. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He had to learn that. It didn't happen overnight. It happened in prison and beaten and 40 times, you know, beat with 40 stripes, save one, and, and shipwrecked and perils among his brethren and so forth. He had to go through that. God used that to make him the man that he was, became. Amen. And God's using the things we go through to make us what he's called us to be. And he used the thing in, things in Elijah's life, the good and the bad, the failures, to make him the man that he was. Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight.